Hello, welcome to How to Build a Sustainable Music Career and Collect All Revenue Streams. I'm your host, author Emily White. And today I'm super excited to dig in on chapter eight, your live strategy and efficient touring. And I'm thrilled to have Akeen Alou from CAA. Welcome, Akeen. Thanks, Emily. How you doing? I'm hanging in there. Nice. How are you doing? I'm okay. Good. Um, so yeah, so let's just dig in. Uh, you're an amazing agent at, you know, one of the huge agencies. So I'm I'm looking forward to digging in and, and kind of um explaining that to people a little bit. Nice. Um, but yeah, let's start at the beginning. You know, how how did you get into the industry? It's obviously so competitive, let alone working at CAA and all these amazing um artists you book. So tell us a little bit about your background. Yeah, sure. Um, So I'm from a small town in Washington state called Auburn, Washington. Um, You know, I always knew I was going to be in music growing up. Um, Both of my parents are immigrants. So, you know, uh, in their mind, I was probably going to be a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer. Um, You know, my my um, my make good to them was that I would be an entertainment attorney instead of, you know, going the more traditional route. And um, you know, the, the more I dug, the more I sort of found out about all of the other paths you could take um, to get into the industry. You know, in college, I had a bunch of different internships. I worked at Clear Channel in Seattle. Um, I worked at BET Networks in, in New York. That was an amazing internship. Uh, and then my junior year of college, I worked at, um, at, uh, at CAA in New York. And I was just sort of able to parlay that internship into my uh, full-time gig after I graduated uh, in my senior year. And I worked my way up from the bottom of the department. We used to do something called ticket counts where, you know, you reached out to different promoters to, to figure out how many tickets uh, a particular client had sold for different shows that were on sale. I would send that information around to the rest of the agents in my department. And, you know, I was just trying to figure out how to get onto a desk so I could really start absorbing, uh, you know, touring, the, the day-to-day sort of logistics of, of, of touring and being a touring agent. So after I was done with my ticket counts work, I would go down uh, to the music floor and I would talk to the different assistants and try to find, uh, you know, try to find work uh, to, to help them with. And it eventually led me to my first, uh, my first assisting gig, which was working for uh, the president and uh, of our music department and, and partner, Rob Light. And, you know, I worked for a couple other agents after the after that, uh, Andrew Simon and Brian Manning. And, you know, from there, I just sort of started signing clients and, and jumping on different client teams and trying to, you know, make a name for myself in the industry. That's the short version of it, at least. I love it. Um, so you said you parlayed your internship at CAA into a job. Can you break that down a little bit more specific, specifically? Because um, I think you also know I have a book called Interning 101, and, and we were just on this uh, Grammy EDU panel together. Yep. That's info people want to know, yep. you know? So yep. what does parlay <laughs> an internship into a job at CAA mean? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 about follow-up, and it's about, you know, it's about your relationship with the people that make decisions um, during your internship process. So I was really close with the recruiter at the time, and um, every sort of couple of months, I would check in and let her know what classes I had taken, or I would send an article to her that I thought was relevant or particularly interesting. And um, 
through that, we were sort of built a rapport. And when I was ready to apply full time, I moved out to LA and asked if she would help connect me to the HR person in LA. And she did that and put in a good word for me. And I, you know, went through the interview process again. But a lot of that was really just about keeping in touch and, and building relationships and maintaining them. And that's a through line. I'm sure anybody who is able to be successful in this industry, you know, knows and, and understands. It's all about relationships. Yeah. And I love how you were sending her industry articles you were interested in. I mean, to me, that just shows like, a, you know, an authentic interest in the field instead of just like, is there a job? Is there a job? You know? Right. I mean, you know, really quickly, like the people that are actually in it because they love the business and the people that are in it because, you know, they you know, they don't know what else to do. Or like, you know, they heard one song on the radio once that they liked and they figured this might be fun. Um, you know, I think the people that are reading, you, you can really tell. Absolutely. Um, so I've been interviewing quite a few artists on this podcast. Um, you are not an artist unless maybe you are and I don't know that. In a past life. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, so yeah, I've been taking people kind of through the chapter or through the book, through the lens of their career. Um, it's obviously a little different with an agent. Um, but the first chapter is uh, get your art together. Right. That's what it's called. Um, so uh, what to you, what makes a great artist? And and that's obviously multifaceted because you're on the live side. Yeah, uh, that's a good question. I um, There's so many elements to it. I, I think like the biggest sort of overarching question of it all is like, who are you as an artist, right? Like, what do you stand for? Um, what, 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 when people sort of listen to your music, what do you want them to walk away with, right? Um, I think great artists have unique voices. I mean that in both the figurative sense and the literal sense, right? I think in the figurative sense, it's again, it's like, what, what do you believe in, right? Like some of the strongest artists build worlds that they sort of pull people into and you, you get a sense of who they are from that. Um, I think the other side of it too, the more literal sense is every artist I love um, has a really unique voice, literally. Like you you can tell when Snoop Dogg is rapping on a song the minute he opens his mouth, right? You know who that is. You know when Young M.A. is, is rapping or Freddie Gibbs is rapping, you, you know, their voices are so distinct. Um, I think, you know, another thing that makes a great artist is an artist that stands for something bigger than themselves. Um, you know, artists who um, can bring people together collectively, right? So, you know, um, I think that th that takes more time to do. And, and I think part of that is gaining commercial success. But aiming to do that, I think, typically makes you a great artist, right? Is it, is it, um, is it peace? Is it, you know, it can be a number of things, but doing that, I think, puts you on that path. And the last thing I would say is a great artist wants to work. They're willing to do anything at any cost. Um, and, you know, they're, they're going to outwork the person to the left and to the right of them to make it because they believe in what it is that they're putting out. And they, they believe that that success is theirs or, or, or this career is theirs and, and they're going to go out and capture that. So I think all of those elements are, are, are sort of, you know, part of the package. I'm sure there's other things I've missed, but to me, that's what makes a great artist. I love it. Uh, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, throughout my career and in the book, I definitely talk about and touch on balance mm -hmm. for artists, you know, like, um, you know, one thing I talk about in general is like, whether artists love or hate social media and email and business stuff, mm -hmm. I think they should dedicate an hour of business day to it mm -hmm. because if they hate it, 
that it's like, you got to do it. You got to get back to people. But if you love it, you can get too sucked in and suddenly like not be an artist. So I guess what I'm trying to ask is like, you know, when, when you guys are considering taking on an artist, um, which we'll get more into specifics, but are, are there kind of marketing elements in the career that, you know, you expect artists to have in place for you to effectively do your job as their agent? Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I I think, you know, it's more about knowing who your fans are so that the people you put around you can do the marketing piece of it for you. So by that, I mean this, right? Like if I meet an artist and, and I'm sitting in a room with them and I ask, you know, who are your fans? You should be able to tell me roughly, are they are they sad? Are they LGBTQI? Are they female? Are they male? Uh, where are they from, right? Like what sorts of things do they like? Um, I think that that is really um that to me is is the marketing piece that an artist should have figured out i don't know that i think there is some merit in artists sort of spending sort of their part of their time um reaching out to 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 different people and and handling their email but i want to know that you know who your audience is so that other people can activate um you know i'm more curious about whether an artist can connect one-to-one with people um, in a room or, or, or if they're on social media and responding to their fans. Um, I think that is a marketing, uh, a marketing element that I look for. And then the last thing I would say too is how do you present yourself to the world? Um, that's a marketing aspect, right? Like, are you presenting yourself, right? Is there a mystery around you? Do you wear, do you only wear Vans? Do you only, you know, do you wear uh, sunglasses, right? Like, to me, those are some of the things, too, that, um, you know, help with the marketing aspects of an, of an artist's um, career. Agreed. Um, so we can edit this next question out, but I am going to ask it because it might be different than what you think I'm asking. Okay. So you have you have full control. Cool. Um, so and and this is like for my own education too. In my experience as a manager, um, we've never signed a contract with an agency or an agent. So that's what I'm talking about. Like, and again, feel free to not answer this. Do you do you or does CAA? always have contracts with artists? Do, do you never? And, and I'll give some context to this. I worked at a legitimate independent agency. It was a management company too when I when I first graduated college. And I was an agent for a second because mm-hmm. um, there was a band I fell in love with and they had management. And I was like, cool, I'll be your US booking agent. And I, I sucked at it. I was <laughs> I've, I've way more of a manager brain. Agents have different brains. For sure. Not, a not good or bad. Yeah, we're, we're just different. <laughs> right. Um, but... Um, oh, so I asked, I was like, oh, do we sign a contract or like, what, what do we do? And and one of the agents at the company was like, no, no, we don't do that, um, for booking stuff, but we totally would for management. So if, if you're able to answer that, like, do you do contracts when you are signing artists? I'm not asking about like their specific contracts, if that makes sense. No, it, like their show. it, it does. And the tough part about that is it really is case by case. There's no sort of like rule book. I think that every, I would, I would, I would say that people have probably experienced both sides of it, right? Like there yeah. are people that have them and there are people that don't have them. I think it really just depends on the situation in which you sort of, uh, you know, find yourself in it at, at, at any given point in time in your career. It really just depends. Definitely. And I guess I'm highlighting that because, you know, if an artist does sign with an agency or, or does get an agent, like, don't be surprised if there isn't a contract. Like, would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I I, I think that's that's fair to say. Cool. Um, awesome. So back to marketing again. Um, 
Are there any marketing elements that you expect artists to have in place so you can effectively do their job? Uh, that's a good, that, your job? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I, I would say they should be on social media for sure. Um, I, yeah. I expect artists to be engaged there, right? Like not just posting, but also engaging with your fans in the comments. Um, you know, I like fan clubs, um, different artists don't like them because it, you know, I think it lends to sort of, um, it's not as democratic, right? It's sort of giving everybody the same sort of access, but I do think it allows you to understand which of your fans are most engaged. Um, and, and, you know, those fans have different sorts of, of value. So, you know, I, that sometimes can be a, a positive too. Um, I would say those two things mostly though. That's great. And what do you look for in artists and clients that you sign? Yeah, great question. Um, so, I mean, look, I think a lot of the same elements that I mentioned in what makes you a great artist, right? Like I really want to work with career artists and artists that want to sort of be doing this for a long time. It, you know, it allows me to do my job and it's also fun to think, you know, far out into the future. Um, but I would say, you know, um, are you are you selling tickets already right like so are you are you relevant in your backyard right can you sell tickets are people excited about you and it's tough because i would say you know the internet has allowed the world to sort of be your backyard so i i would say anywhere where you think you sort of any area that you think you own, can you get people excited to 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 come and see you? Will they part with their money? Um, you know, I, I yeah, that's I would say that's that's sort of that, that's sort of what I look for. In addition to um, the uh, the elements of what makes you a great artist. Exactly. So here's what I tell people, and please tell me if if any of this is wrong. I would say most agents, because because a lot of times I you know I hear from artists like agent, agent, I gotta get an a agent. Like that's like the number one team member they they want, and you know in non pandemic times, of course, like they they want to get on the road. So I you know I say in the book like you know like even if you can sell five hundred, maybe even a thousand, well a thousand's a lot, but like five hundred, a thousand tickets where you're from. A lot of agents are going to expect that yes, where you're from. Absolutely. Um, so I really recommend, you know, setting up gig swaps, you know, to build up your numbers regionally, yep. then expanding nationally. Like, are, are there elements like that that you're looking for? Because, again, it's like if someone's selling a thousand tickets in Milwaukee, that's amazing. Absolutely. But, but if they're not anywhere else, is it as appealing to it you? It depends. I mean, sometimes you, you sometimes some of these acts will only be able, like early on, will only be able to do 500, 1,000 tickets in their quote unquote backyard, but if you go and see them and they're amazing, right? That's where like the 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 A and R part of the job or the human part of the job comes in, right? Not everything is about a metric. Sometimes it's about actually being a fan and going to see the act and saying, "Wow, this is incredible," right? Or like, "Oh my God, I've never seen this." It's about you, you know part of being a great agent in my mind is also understanding and tapping into the potential of any individual artist. So it's like, where do it's where your own tastes come into play, like where where do I see this? How can I grow this, right? Does this fit in my portfolio of clients? If it doesn't, do I know what levers to pull to get the artist to where they need to be? Um, I think that's also an element of it, but I think you, you nailed it. You might even, you might be an agent. <laughs> <laughs> well, I used to be a tour manager, right. so that's why I know this world a little bit. Um, 
Yeah. So if you don't mind, tell us about some of your clients because you work with some incredible talent. Yeah. I mean, look, there are so many. I, I feel like if I start naming any one client in particular, I will end up in trouble. Um, <laughs> I, I will say that, you know, I, I've had a couple nominated for Grammys in the past uh, week or so. So that's great. Um, Doja Cat is nominated. Freddie Gibbs is nominated. Uh, Chloe and Hallie are nominated. Um, so that's been exciting. But, you know, I, I love working with all of them. I love, um, you know, taking an artist that doesn't have any tour history and and building that right and and, and you know getting us to a place where festival buyers want to want to talk to us or you know bigger artists want to take us on tour um that's that's the fun part of it it's 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 you know it's about growing these artists into their sort of future selves and and, and sort of lending my skill set to that um because i can't be an artist uh, <laughs> so this is the only way i really get to participate um yeah, but I, I I enjoy working with all of them. Of course, and um, I had the I, uh, Freddie Gibbs in particular. I I wanted to bring up when we were talking about some marketing stuff. Um, I I teach I, I taught management at NYU last year, and uh, I pulled the class on their dream guest speakers because I was like, well, you're gonna get to know like people in my world. Like, who do you guys want to know about? And uh, Fr- Freddie Gibbs topped our poll. That's I don't hilarious. I don't know if it was like Freddie or you know, management or whatever. So Lambo spoke to the class. Oh man, that's my guy. It was, he was phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, it was like, I, <laughs> he literally brought to life everything I had taught the entire semester and we didn't talk before. I was like, thank you. That dude is, <laughs> a, mad, that dude is a mad scientist. I mean, like a yeah. lot of the creative stuff is, is it's him. Like, and, and it's so funny because we'll be on the phone and he'll just go and we'll just be riffing. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's funny to watch it all play out in, uh, you know, kudos to them. They've been doing it for 15 plus years, you know, before I was, I was even, you know, worthy of being involved. And I, it's just great to sort of watch it unfold and to have been a part of the last, you know, three years in, in helping, you know, do my part and set this up for what it is now. Um, you know, it's just, it's just been fun. Lambo's, Lambo's great. Yeah. Love him. Um, so, you know, and Freddie's career is a great example of this, but like, how has the industry shifted, uh, during the time of your career? When did you graduate college? Oh, I don't wow. have your LinkedIn in front of Am me. Am I allowed? Can I, can, do I have to say that? I feel like if people, you, know, you don't have to say that. I mean, I'll say it. it's like, I'm, I'm 38. <laughs> So that gives people some context. Right. No, I, I, uh, I graduated college in 2013. So seven years ago. You're younger than me. Is that why you didn't want to say it, yeah, actually? Yeah, you never know, man. It's like, yeah. you know, people try. I don't know. It's, 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 it's funny. I, you know, it's funny. I didn't mean to put you in an awkward position. It's funny. Yeah, it's like usually people don't want to know, like, if they're older. But I do run into that. Oh. Like, our, our COO at I Voted Festival, she did not want anyone to know her age and finally like when it was all done I'm like can you just tell me but it was the same thing because she was and again I don't even know what graduating in 2013 like means with how old you are but um well you you come across as like super pro and very impressive so don't I I appreciate that I actually usually don't I actually don't mind sharing my age at all I was just sort of giving you a hard time I uh I uh I'm 29 I I, uh my birthday's in September so I've got another year until I until I hit 30 but um yeah so you know, I actually don't mind at all. I just give you a hard time. <laughs> <laughs> all good. But I but I understand it because I did feel that when I was in my early 20s in the industry, I experienced more ageism than sexism. It, so I do get that. Yeah, it happens. And, and you have to be on guard. I mean, like, you know, sometimes sometimes people want to see the gray in your hair to feel like they, there's a little more security. But, um, you know, I, you know, I, I'm thankful that, 
you know, it, it hasn't ever really been a problem for me, but I, I, uh, I was just joking. It's fun. I love it. Um, well, let's see. So, but I, so how has the industry shifted during the time of your career or even your lifetime as a music fan? Yeah. I mean, look, I would say in, in the, in the time I've been at CAA and in, um, the time I've sort of been working in touring, um, I mean, I think like the sort of macro trend is there's a lot of people, I would call them like creators now that are sort of finding ways to engage an audience and non-traditional artists that are touring. Um, you know, that seems to be different to me, right? You've got social media's uh, influencers that can sell, you know, 2000 tickets to a pajama party um, at the Wiltern. And that's a real business, right? In addition to their ability to sell product direct to consumer, they're able to get people to show up for different types of events. The other thing I would say that's interesting too is esports, right? So uh, whether yeah. it be Riot Games or any or League of Legends, like any of those sorts of like tournaments that sell arenas internationally, um, there's a real business there for for anybody that's willing to sort of figure it out and lock in with any of those game developers. I think that's interesting. Um, you know, I don't think I think that it's sort of similar to the idea of touring IP, right? Like, you know, you think about the Warp Tour and what, and you know, how CAA sort of was responsible with that. I think that, that there is parallels there, right? So non-traditional touring. Um, but I would say those two categories that I mentioned, both esports and influencers, in the past sort of seven years I've been, I've been doing this, um, that seems to be more of a, of a recent thing. Yes. And actually, I'm recording two episodes for this chapter, and the other is Warp Tour founder Kevin Lyman. Oh, exactly. So. See? <laughs> yeah. Love it all. OG. Yes. Yeah, seriously, for real. Um, there was something else I was going to ask about that in my spaciness late in the day, second, epi uh, second episode. Um, but I'll let you know what I think of it. No problem. Um, so next up, how how can you best do your job within an artist's release plan? Yeah, so I love this question because the best thing I can ever have is a release plan. I don't always get a release plan, so sometimes you know um, I'm I'm activating from um, uh, you know I'm a, I'm a half step behind everybody else, and I think when you can. Um, plan ahead and think about what you're targeting, targeting, whether it be festivals, whether it be, um, you know, particular venues, particular days, um, uh, you know, having a release plan period is, is great because it gives us time to think. Um, we can strategize. If I know a year out that our goal is to play Coachella, I'm going to make sure that we do all of our LA shows or shows on the West Coast with Golden Voice because it makes sense. That's how you set yourself up to win, right? So um, having just having a release plan is great. It allows us to hit targets. Uh, we know where we're going and we can execute against that. That's exactly why I asked that question. I completely teed it up. I mean, often when I tee up questions, you know, the response is not what I expected at all. Right. But I, I see that all the time with younger managers and stuff. They'll just reach out to an agent and be like, oh, we have a album coming out in a month or two weeks. I'm like, you need to give them as much advance notice as possible, which is also what you're saying. It's like, we want to make your job as easy as possible so Absolutely. you can be as effective as possible for us. Absolutely. So you you get it. <laughs> you, you get it. Well, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought of what I was going to say before, too. You were talking about um, YouTube influencers and, and gaming and esports. Like, 
That's so exactly right. And we started our I Voted initiative for the 2018 midterms, mm-hmm. um, where we activated non-pandemic times over 150 venues in 37 states to let fans in on election night who showed a selfie from outside their polling place. Oh, congrats. Um, thank you. It was just an intern and myself So at the time. So to be efficient, I started, re- I'm like, re- I'm like, no offense to my manager peers, but um and no offense to agents, I'm like, we just need to cut through the holds and go directly to the promoters. Right. So we started like a year out um, just, you know, so we could let venues and promoters know what we're doing. They could go back to agents with the concept. Yep. And from there, I, I was doing that for efficiency reasons, but I was also trying to explain to people, I'm like, the talent will fill in. Yep. And that doesn't make me like not a fan or lame or whatever. It's like these promoters again, this is non uh, pre pandemic times, like, they know what sells. And and I would it with like, the artists that would get booked that way for I voted, it's like, it's a YouTube star I've never heard of. And, and obviously, people know about gaming and and selling out MSG, you know, Madison Square Garden and, and stuff like that. But I'm really obsessed with that. And um, I saw it even more with our I voted festival this year, Mm -hmm. because we booked the top streaming acts in and or from each state. And so like, it's not always what the industry has heard of or, you know, or what people are talking about. It's what actual fans are listening to, which is the point. Yeah. And I love that because it doesn't allow you to be disconnected, right? If you really want to play, you've got to have your eyes and ears everywhere. I talk to promoters all around the country and we'll ask them, what's selling, right? Like, who are you, who are you excited about? Like, you know, who did you put in this room, you know, last week that, that, that blew it out at the on sale? Like, I, I want to know that information because stuff's not flowing through traditional channels like it used to. Look, there are a lot of things that still do and a lot of the biggest stuff does, but you can still win and have a, a, a good looking roster, you know, just by sort of playing at the fringes. I, I think that's a real, that's a real um, strategy. And, and to your point, you know, I think that even some of the more traditional promoters are, are trying to get into the they're trying to crack the nut on on the live streaming or not the live streaming thing i'm sorry the 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 gaming thing or the influencer thing right like you know i think c3 was doing something where they were looking to to um book mostly gamers and influencers i think rolling loud has entertained the idea like you know i think that there's a real there's there's a real sort of market there yeah definitely agree yeah um I'm sorry, I'm so spacey today. There was something else I was going to add. Don't worry about it. About that. <laughs> but I was going to say, at I voted, we used um, chart metric, mm-hmm. which was really helpful. And anyone can create a free pro account for a couple of weeks. So I definitely encourage um, checking that out. I think what I was going to say is, I maybe just because I've given this example so many times, mm-hmm. like, you know, we booked 500 artists for I voted 2020. And I, I'm, I'm originally from Wisconsin. Nice. Every year, my mom will... My, my parents go to all the fests, obviously summer fest, but then there's, there's like Irish fest and um, Polish fest. There's a million fests yep. um, on the summer fest grounds. And every year my mom comes back from Irish fest and raves about the red hot chili pipers. Like we're talking like four or five years ago. I've had, I've had to hear about this. So I wasn't terribly surprised when I looked at Wisconsin's data and they were a top streaming app. That's so yeah, we booked them for I voted. And literally all summer, I had to hear from colleagues like, there's a typo on your website. I'm like, no. Like, there re-. And I would explain the story. Well, anyway, I looked at the data on the number of fans that checked out, you know, these 500 artists. Right. Red Hot Chili Pipers were number 23 oh, out of 500 God. artists. So again, it's like, 
what we think is cool or what we're writing about or talking about or whatever is not always what the moms in Wisconsin are listening to, which is like, you know, we needed those people to vote and they did. Absolutely. And, and is it safe to assume they're a Red Hot Chili Peppers cover band or do they, are, do they, are they broader? <laughs> That's a really good question. They, they definitely do like, it, it's these guys from Scotland, you know, bagpipes. They definitely do like, don't stop believing and like, CNC Music Factory, but that's a good question. I don't know if I've seen an actual Red Hot Chili Peppers cover by them, but it, it's gotta, it's gotta exist. I mean, I, I might have to explore this one a little bit further. <laughs> Check it out. Yeah, yeah. Pe- people love them, and and they do huge shows. It's, it's amazing. All right. So there we go. Um, so how do you know? I you know this could be non-pandemic times and now. Um, what you know? How are shows marketed? Uh, yeah. I mean. Uh, a lot of different ways. Uh, social media, I think, is what a lot of people use, whether it be on the artist side or the promoter side. Um, lots of mailing lists, right? Um, you know, a, a lot of times I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going with promoters that have a history of working with particular acts because obviously they know how to break those acts and they can do targeted marketing. Um, so that's helpful. Um, word of mouth. Right. Um, I don't know that that's uh, you can't count on that strategy, obviously. And, you know, hot shows sort of sell themselves. But, you know, there you go. And, you know, more traditional methods like outdoor media. Sometimes in L.A. you'll see the random billboard. I don't know that they're using billboards to sell club shows in Wisconsin. But, you know, for some of the bigger shows in L.A., you might catch a billboard. Um, You know, it it, it depends. Uh, uh, You know. There's more metrics now, I'm sure, than there were before, especially if you're going with some of the more established promoters, be it Live Nation or AEG. So um, they've got little special tricks. But for the most part, I would say those are sort of the the more traditional ways that I'm seeing as far as show marketing goes. Definitely. And in my experience, promoters just want to see the artists and management team doing something. Absolutely. Which, I mean, do more than something, but, you know, they just seem to appreciate it when we're posting, we're tagging, you know, showing that we care, showing that we're putting effort in and not just expecting them to do everything. Absolutely. You have to work, too. I mean, promoters are there to sell the show. It is their, it is their job. But, you know, an artist that's willing to get their hands dirty is, is great. I think it says a lot about the team and the artists themselves. Agreed. So now we're going to dig in on this episode's chapter focus, uh, which I'll look up the title again. Um, It's basically sustainable touring and was written pre-pandemic, although I do talk about webcasting in here. Um, So yeah, so your live strategy and effective touring. Um, Well, first, since, you know, we are in a pandemic currently, uh, although we may, you know, the the vaccine will be out there by the time this airs in early 2021. Fingers crossed. Exactly. Um, so what have your clients been up to in 2020 during during the pandemic? Yeah, so great question. Uh, lots of virtual shows. Um, you know, everybody is willing to get creative to, to, to make it work. Um, you know, some, some of my clients have played in, in markets where um, states are open and people are still showing up for shows. And, you know, obviously we're, we're using proper COVID protocol. Um, but, you know, I would say that it's, it's mostly those two things. And then if we can find other branded opportunities, we're looking for those two. That's great. And 
what is, I mean, is the booking process different with a live stream show? Like, what's that like? Yeah, I mean, look, it's fundamentally the same. I think that there are definitely new types of questions that I'm having to ask, right? Like, what's your tech? <laughs> or, like, you know, yeah. where, where do you host this? Like, you know, those are not questions that I would typically ask. But, you know, after you've talked to your 50th live stream company, you sort of get a sense of the ones that are real players and the other ones who are, you know, trying to figure it out, too. Um, and you know, it's, it, it, it varies. Definitely. So if an artist is just getting going or an aspiring industry person, maybe, maybe these two people know each other and the aspiring industry person's like, yeah, I want to book you. Let's go do it. How do you book a show? And again, let's, let's, you know, consider this post vaccine, like, or pre pandemic times, like how does, how does one go about booking a show? Right. So if you're the artist and somebody approaches you and says, Hey, I want to book you. Yeah, I would say if you're an artist and you want to play shows, um, and same, like, you know, I meet, and, and you do too, plenty of college students that want to be agents, and I would say just go start booking one of your classmates. Like, what do they do? Right, so, I mean, look, I, I would figure out who in your city is throwing shows that you like, um, and I would reach out to them, right? Like, you know, if, if you're in LA, is it a Sean Healy show, right? Are you, are you, are, is it a, is it a golden voice show? And I would reach out to that promoter and I would, I would have a sense of what, what, why do you feel your artist is ready to do a live show in, in, in this, in, in this room or, or, or in this market, right? Like, do you have, uh, streaming data that you can provide? Do you know that, you know, they've done free shows and have had X amount of people show up? Are they releasing something that's going to garner attention from the media? Like, you know, I think those are sorts of some of the questions that, that you should be asking, but um, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty straightforward. I think you've got to find the, the, promoter partner that's going to help it be successful. Otherwise, I mean, you know, the, the other option is to get out there and hustle tickets yourselves, but I, I would opt for the for the version where you're going with the, the person who sort of knows what they're doing and you have a better chance of uh, being successful. And you have their insurance coverage, which <laughs> yeah. is always Yeah, good. That, that too. Yes. Um, you know, like, keep that email short and to the point, like, this is my album release or single or EP or what, you know. And then also, you know, if you want to speak on, because, you know, artists, I, I, I'm so curious your perspective on this. Like artists complain, uh, not always, but like <laughs> I hear people complaining about radius clauses is what I'm trying to say. And I'm like, that's also there to benefit you. So do you want to explain what a radius clause is? Yeah, I mean, it basically doesn't allow you to play within a certain market within a certain number of days before and or after um, the show date that is agreed upon. And, you know, the idea is that if you play too many shows in a market, you oversaturate it and you're not able to sell your optimal or, you know, your optimal number of tickets because, you know, too many people have seen you. Um, you can't play LA 10 times and you're only worth a hundred tickets, right? Like people are going to, they're going to, they're going to get tired of seeing you. So the idea there, I think what you're getting at is that basically, you know, the radius clause allows for some, some breathing room between your show in LA and, and the show in like in, in, in Inglewood um, so that, you know, you're, you're not cannibalizing your own sales. 
That's right. And um, and I'm sure there are nightmare radius clauses out there that I haven't seen. But sure. again, all of, all of that can go in that short to the point email when you're getting going. You know, it's just like, this is going to be my only show for three months. I'm focusing here because you don't want to book a show and then have the promoter realize like you're doing a residency once a week somewhere else or something. Right. Because the other idea, too, is you also want to you, you want to you want to work alongside that promoter. That promoter is going to be a helpful asset in helping you build your live career right you, you want to make sure that they're protected too um the idea there is that if, if you have a, a pop-up residency that they don't know about they're they're putting themselves in risk of at risk of losing money um because we weren't or you weren't um forthright with all of the other stuff that you had going on so i think in some ways too you've got to understand um promoter economics and how they make money because you know those clauses are also there to protect their downside too um, so, you know, do you want to break that down a little bit? Like maybe what the options are for like a club show in terms of like what a typical radius is not radius, but you were saying like how the economics with a promoter works. Oh yeah. I mean, look, so in, in, I, I will try to, to explain this as thoroughly as I can and not be, and not overcomplicated, but basically like, you know, they're guaranteeing you, or sometimes they are, sometimes they aren't depending on the way the deal is structured, but let's assume here there's a guarantee. They're guaranteeing you a certain amount of money. Um, and in order for them to get paid, um, depending on the deal structure, they have to sell an, a certain number of tickets above a break-even threshold. And that number is basically calculated um, based upon the number of tickets you can sell in a venue and the price of the ticket. So let's say we're playing, um, you know, call it the Roxy, uh, you know, roughly 500 tickets you're selling, uh, Tickets at $10 is a $5,000 gross. Promoters have other expenses that come out of that gross, right? So, you know, we won't overcomplicate it, but, you know, call it a barricade or a rent fee or a cleaning fee, right? Um, they have to subtract those expenses from the gross on top of additional, you know, variable expenses that include paying for PROs or, or, um, or, or, or what have you and or or you know ticket commission whatever and um that money also comes out of the gross uh and then you know based on what's left over right if there's enough that money is then sometimes split between artist and promoter so the promoter has to sell you know well above and beyond that five thousand dollar guarantee in order to account for the expenses that need to come out of that offer or come out of that gross uh, in order for for them to you know cover your fee and also make money based on the percentage of the the net gross that they sell and the net gross is calculated after you sort of subtract all those expenses from the gross that's great that was really and convoluted and, <laughs> and not in complete order but i i did my best <laughs> no it's awesome and when i was a tour manager i used to go through every single expense at settlement um, to make sure I understood each number, even if I knew we weren't going to make any back end. And I just, I really recommend that for artists, you know, for tour managers, aspiring industry people. It's like, and that's why I know contracts really well. And I understand, you know, the economics behind live shows, because even when I knew it wasn't going to make the artists more money, I was like, well, what's this expense or what does that mean or, or whatever. And the amount of things I was able to take out, you know, like, and, and it's not that anyone's trying to rip you off. It's just that, well, maybe they are, but um, <laughs> more, 
more often than not, I don't think they are. It's just that this is, these are our standard expenses. And I know this stuff is minor, but I'm like, well, we didn't use towels. And there's also a cleaning fee for the towels. And it's like, you can just go through it and be like, point out, like, we literally didn't use any of these things and, and make a little bit more money. Right. And the other thing about that too, is like, you never, it comes in handy when you go to other places, right? It's a way for you to sort of come up with a, 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 a standard, right? So if you've seen $50 towels in three different venues, you can, you know, maybe safely assume that this is the, the average cost of towels. So okay. when somebody hits you with a hundred dollar bill for towels, you're like, eh, this doesn't make sense. Show me a receipt, exactly. right? Like let's let's break this down. So I do a lot of that, a lot of digging into ex expenses. And I think you'll probably touch on this later, but like little little detailed things like that can sometimes, you know, across enough dates add up to hundreds, thousands, um, maybe hundreds of thousands of dollars, depending on what expenses you're you're eliminating or minimizing. Exactly. That's amazing. Um, so we, we touched on this, but, um, you know, what can artists and teams be doing to promote their shows? And again, you can say this in your short and efficient email if you are booking your own shows. Yeah. I mean, look, I would, I, I would, it's a couple of things. So, you know, you're playing with the right promoter partner, you're using social media. Um, maybe it's about building a great bill, uh, you know, so that if you know you need to sell 200 tickets in this room and you're only worth a hundred, you've got other people under you that will go and also help you sell those tickets or you know take a consignment right people that will go out and um street team your tickets and and you know get paid per ticket that they sell um you know and, and in that email to whatever promoter you're working with it, it's important to again to like sort of highlight the things that we talked about so you know, new releases uh streaming data um you know any past ticket history in any other markets you know upcoming features or cosigns things like that that let us know that you've got heat on you yeah and one thing i i love to do that promoters seem to like um especially i hate to say it especially if a show isn't doing well they're like what can we do i'm like well why don't we just do a post being like retweet this or share this or comment below um, you know, a post with the ticket link, like, hey, we're going on tour, or here's the show or whatever, and retweet this to get on the guest list. Yep. And there, you know, and there can be a drawing for that. So yep. that way you're incentivizing the fans. I, mean, I didn't explain that super clearly. You don't want to say retweet this and you're on the guest list, but retweet this to enter a drawing to win a pair of tickets to the show. And then you are inherently encouraging the fans to promote the show for you. Yep. I've done a lot of contesting. I think, you know, for some acts, you can do local radio interviews. Um, there's a, I mean, you can get really creative with it. There's a lot of, a lot of ways to sort of get the, get the word out. Yeah. And with all this stuff, you know, like even the show itself and, and definitely radio interviews, like, again, like tag all of these things when you're posting on social media. Don't just be like, we're playing the Troubadour. Right. It's like tag the venue. And I can only imagine how many followers the Troubadour has and not everybody tags the venues and you're just that much more likely to get a retweet. Like I, I will never forget this. This could have been a decade ago, but it was like one of the first nice days of the year in New York. Yeah. And I was, I live in Brooklyn and I was biking over the bridge to a show at pianos. And I tweeted, I, I have like a very inherent social media brain for better or for worse. Mm -hmm. Like I can't not tag things. Like I can feel it in my ring fingers right now. Like, like ah. I'm typing. <laughs> so I was like getting on my bike. I was like biking over the bridge to see at the big sleep NYC at pianos, NYC, blah, blah, blah. And yeah. the venue, which had a ton of followers retweeted me. I'm like, I, and I saw it when I like 
got over the bridge and got to the venue. And I thought, I want them retweeting the band, not me. Right, right, right. So again, because, and I get it, like not everyone like is an inherent social media person, but it's because so many artists are not tagging the promoter and venue, you have that much more of a likelihood for them to push it out to their tens of thousands of followers. Agreed. And to show your promoter partner and friends, um, that you care and you're doing your part. Yep. I think that goes back to, you know, what I said earlier, you got to be willing to work. And I think it says, I think it tells you a lot about the artists that are willing to do those extra things. You know, I think we sometimes get caught about caught up about um, the aesthetic on your social media page and, you know, things of that nature, but there are also ways to work that in so that it looks natural on, on whatever platform it is that you use. Um, I just, I I, want to sort of like, co-sign all of that. I, I totally agree. Awesome. Um, so obviously merch is a huge component um, for artists on the road. Any any thoughts on merch in general? I mean, uh, we don't really get involved in that area as such. I mean, look, I think for me, I would tell you that it's a good indicator for agents in terms of um, fan engagement. So, you know, how many of your acts or how many of your fans or what are your fans paying for merch and how many of them are waiting to purchase it um, after or before the show? Um, you know, I would make it affordable. I would get creative, you know, find ways to make it fit your aesthetic. Uh, and outside of that, like, you know, as, an, as, as agents, we're not typically involved in, in that area. But, uh, you know, it's incredibly lucrative. Yeah. And, and I asked too, because like you're, you're, you're normally at so many shows, you know, so you, you see it. Oh, you know? sure. I mean, I've seen great stuff. I've seen artists sell cassettes. Um, you know, I, like it, it's, it's, it, I love seeing vinyl, um, you know, little elements that remind me of the, um, the overall aesthetic of the, of the album, or, you know, you can draw from the artwork. I, I love, I love merch like that. Awesome. Um, so we definitely touched on regional touring. And um, again, I, I really encourage people to check out metrics for that kind of stuff. I was talking to an artist, <laughs> I forgot the number that he said, but he's like, I contacted 200 bands in Portland. I can't believe, you know, there's that many artists there. But again, when we were booking, I voted, I was so fascinated. And I, I probably said this on the panel we were on, like, wow, what people are listening to in Milwaukee is so different from Madison, is so different from Grand Rapids. Right. And these places aren't very far. So it's, again, I, I really encourage, you know, when you're setting up those gig swaps, which I feel that people can do um, in the webcast space as well you know, open for one another and support one another. Um, yeah, pay pay attention to what people are listening to. And so, I mean, don't get me wrong, like before we had this data, and I don't mean like a million years ago, like, yeah, it was, if you saw a band in Portland on social media, it's like, oh great, someone in Portland, right. awesome. Right. But now you can actually pay attention to like who's most popular and what fans are actually listening to. Yeah, I mean- That's not really a question, but go ahead. No, I, 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 I agree. I mean, look, I think that- um, a lot of times I'm, I'm looking for ways to take those regional acts and, and try to take them to other markets and really build their tour history nationally. So, you know, I think to the degree that you can take advantage of regional touring and really make a name for yourself in your quote unquote backyard. Um, I think that's, you know, that's, that's a great way to, to get your career started. Love it. Um, do you use metrics in booking at all? Like on where to book artists and 
or are managers providing that info? Like what, what are your thoughts on metrics and booking? Yeah. So we've got, uh, we've got an analytic system that we use to pull artist information from a number of different social media platforms. I will use it to get a sense of, um, you know, which markets you're bubbling in, um, where your fans live. It might give me some information on fan psychographics, right? So like what you're liking on Twitter or Instagram or what have you. And, and I'll incorporate it into sort of um, how I route a tour or the, or the markets that we'll play. But, you know, a lot of times for acts that are just starting off, the, the major markets are the major markets. Like, you know, you have a pretty good sense of where you should be playing just by nature of having done this before or, you know, working with other artists who were at a, at a similar point at one time in their career. Um, you know, you know, you got to play New York, even if it doesn't show up in the first five cities, although that's rare, right? You know, you have to play LA. Um, you know, which promoters in different parts of the country do a good job with breaking younger acts. So, you know, you're going to typically lean that way. You're going to talk to people in the different markets and 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 check their gut, right? So I, I, I lean on data, but I don't I don't let it um I don't let it sort of formulate my entire strategy. It's sort of like a guiding tool, right? Like it, yeah. it's 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 a way for me to 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 check and make sure my instincts are, are, are right. And if, and if the data is totally different, you know, I'm, we go in a different direction and we, and we feel that out, but you know, I think you sort of just have to be, uh, you have to be nimble. I love that. That that's brilliant. And I will say, um, and obviously feel free to disagree. I, I feel like if you're just getting going, um, I, I don't know if you need to play LA. I mean, it depends on, you know, where you're based, right. but, um, do you know, do you know Martin Atkins no, by no. any chance? Okay, so he's a he's an, a brilliant drummer and definitely a music business guru. And he wrote a book a few years ago called Tour Smart. And he does, you know, uh, presentations and, and things like that. And there's a stat in it that I'll mess up, but you'll get the idea. Mm-hmm. 80% of the top touring markets are east of the Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't think people should give up. If, they're, if you're just getting going and you're losing money and you're figuring this stuff out, like, I don't think people should give up their firstborn to drive, like, again, assuming they're like Midwest or East, which again, if that's where 80% of the population is, there's a good chance, like, that's where you are. But, um, I mean, have you ever driven across the country? It's a big country. No, I've never done the cross country drive. I mean, the furthest I've driven is like maybe Texas to Washington State. Um, and I've, yeah. I've done like, you know, the, the North to South drive where you go New York to Georgia, but, uh, I've never, or New York to even Florida, but I've never done cross country complete uh, west to east or east to west. I I do want to, I do want to sort of say one additional thing is that, you know, sometimes, you know, sometimes it's not even about, um, uh, sometimes it's not, this sounds backwards, but sometimes you play a certain market because of the other people that might show up, right? So like you might play LA for press or for industry yeah. executives and, and 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 you know showcase in that way. So I agree with you, right? Like a lot of markets east of the Mississippi um, definitely gets a little bit more sparse as you move towards the West Coast, but certain markets are, are press markets or are yeah. important to play strategically just so that you can say you are you were there um or certain people can see you to set up other things but you know obviously this all depends on your larger touring strategy and career arc and et cetera. Et cetera. i totally agree like if 
if you've got some things going on, you know there's some people in, in any of the West Coast markets, really, that you know are going to come check you out. Yeah, may, like maybe maybe consider giving up your firstborn. Right. <laughs> Um, and it might and it might not change your life, but it's all it's all stepping stones. What I'm referring to is just again, just like these DIY bands. Oh, they're sure. they're hacking it out. They're sending a million emails to score that gig in Memphis or whatever, and they think that they need to get to LA no. too. So I just think like hack it out with drivable distances, and then maybe on that second tour, drive across the country because it is no joke. Absolutely, it's it's you know I I go back to, again to like owning your backyard. And then, you know, the other thing I want to say, and you, you'll probably ask this later, later is, um, oh man, I'm forgetting my point. It's only owning your backyard, but also, uh, oh yeah, like, you know, it's, it's, it's expensive to break on the road. You know, yeah. I, I don't know I, with the internet in 2020, I don't know that you have to, right. There's definitely an art to, um, being a great live act, but it, it's cheaper to promote a track on Spotify and try to, you know, catch um catch one that way versus you know trying to, to to play live and 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 get people going look i think there's different um there's different strategies to break an artist and it's all artist dependent you know it's all depending on what your strengths are and what your weaknesses are but i would say in, in the areas where you can sort of like uh, avoid racking up um expenses to to play in markets like to your point that, that might not be relevant at this time um you should use the tools on the internet they're there Agreed. Yeah. A great way to make money is not just to make more money. It's to reduce expenses. Absolutely. Um, so any thoughts on international touring? CAA is obviously a, a global company and, and I'm sure you have some clients that are with CAA worldwide, others with different international agents. So, so um, yeah, if you could touch on any thoughts on that, but maybe explain how it works, because I, I will say, um, I guess I can say this because it'll be out after this, but we're going to do I Voted Georgia. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just started booking that this week. And I, you know, we're all volunteers. So I have students on the booking team and I'm training them how to do it. And I did have to add to our, um, to my instructions, like, don't pitch the agent in Australia, <laughs> you know? And then I had to explain to them that there's, you know, you know, for bigger artists, there's there's more than one agent. So can, can you talk a little bit on that? Yeah, I mean, look, all of my clients that are global, um, we've got uh, a robust, you know, group of agents that work specifically on international markets, right? And I lean on them for their expertise. Uh, that doesn't mean that I don't have opinion an opinion on, you know, when we should be going to Europe versus when we should be going to Australia and how that lines up with um, our domestic run. But I think the important point here is that, you know, I've got assets to lean on that will sort of give me a more nuanced perspective on individual markets and timeframes and promoters, um, you know, then then I'm going to be able to bring to the table on my own, right? You know, people who understand VAT taxes or or, or different sorts of expenses that that might not exist um, in in the U.S. or, you know, the types of paperwork that I'm going to need in order to not come home with negative money in my pocket, right? So I, I lean on my colleagues in that way who are brilliant at, at what they do. Um, and that's sort of, you know, I would say, I would say that's sort of the, the short of it. Totally. Um, so, you know, since we are in a pandemic, um, what are you seeing in the live stream space? Like what's standing out to you? I mean, platforms, artists, like what's going on out there? Yeah, it, it's been fun. So, you know, in, in 
March or April, I, I pivoted into sort of starting to look at virtual platform, virtual uh, events and, and live streaming platforms just because um, I had no idea when this thing was going to let up. And <laughs> almost eight months later, you know, we're still talking about virtual events. Um, you know, I, I'm part of a, a group of, of people that are sort of vetting these things for our department and trying to understand the economics and, you know, trying to come up with some sort of idea of what best practices are um, and, and help sort of implement them across the board. When we first started talking to a lot of these companies in March or April, um, not all of them were live streaming artists and a lot of them didn't even... Um, you know, they, they, their deal structures were not favorable for artists, right? We were talking to them about acts that had real ticket history, you know, theater ballroom history across the country, and they were talking about rev shares. You know, fast forward to five or six months later, and these artists or, or these platforms are paying our clients real guarantees, and it's because we held the line, right? We understood what an artist's value is, and their ability to create community online still exists, even if they can't be out in the real world. And you know, we held our position, and you know, since since you know April or or May, we've you know we've been able to drum up a lot of business for our clients. Whether we're talking to um, you know headliner or we're talking to um, you know. Kizwi or, or whoever, right? Like, you know, there's a lot of different um, players out there now um, that understand what it means, you know, uh, to, to, to have an artist on their platform and what it means for the longevity of their business, right? You know, or, or the guys that looped or whatever, right? So, you know, mm -hmm. I just feel like uh, yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been interesting. It's been interesting to watch um, a lot of activity in that space. Um, I, I watched I watched what Billie Eilish did. I loved her production. Um, you know, Dermot Kennedy, a client we represent, jumped into that space really early on, and you know he he's been very successful in in drawing audiences to um, to whatever platform he decides to use, be it Drifter or whoever. It's you know, and and you know when we started again, it was it was people doing this from or there were people there were people who were doing this specifically from their, their living room or from their bedroom. And, you know, our, our thought process was that in order for these to be compelling, we have to really raise the bar in terms of what the production level was going to be. So a lot of, you know, what we did, um, the small group that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm part of is we went around and we educated our colleagues on like, you know, what it meant to put one of these on and, and what you had to think about and, you know, who are the right platforms for you, right? Like, you know, what, what what features are they offering is interactivity important for you you might want to talk to to the guys at bulldog right like is 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 it important that you have low latency right like are, do you need to have a, a donation button right like you know uh, does this platform uh, specialize in um, reaching classic rock acts, right? Like, you know, there's a platform for that. So, you know, it, 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 there was a lot of self-education involved, a lot of outreach, a lot of phone calls being made, but it, it's been really great to see this space sort of grow and people begin to take it more seriously, or maybe begin to realize that there's, you know, that our options are limited in terms of monetizing uh, performances. So, you know, adopting this for, you know, the lack of not having anything else, but um, there's, there's, a, there's definitely a lot going on. I agree. Definitely. 
what do you think that'll look like post-vaccine? Like, I, I feel like there, there'll be a hybrid model and, and that's what you alluded to a little bit, but what, what's this, what do you, if you had to guess, what do you think this will all look like? Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree. I think that, you know, it'll probably just extend the um, the revenue potential of, of concerts, right? Like, you know, maybe you, you live stream a show and you geofence it, uh, you live stream a live performance and you geofence it to a certain market. And, you know, the people who aren't willing to pay um, you know, X amount of dollars can watch a show um, from their living room, or maybe once a show is sold out, you extend it um, or, or extend a, a piece of the show to people from their living uh, or at home who want to watch. Um, I feel like there's a lot of opportunity, and I'm sure there's going to be, um, you know, larger, uh, more traditional promoters who want to figure out how to take advantage of of uh, of, of the revenue potential of um, of live streaming. But I don't think it's going away. I think we were always sort of moving towards this um, live streaming sort of consumer behavior, right? You look at you look at the popularity of platforms like Twitch, um, and I think that we were just sort of. I just think that the the, the pandemic just accelerated um, the the uh, consumer adoption of like you know all these new platforms and, and behaviors. It's been really crazy to watch all of it. <laughs> it's been insane. I fully agree. Um, so we, we talked about what agents are looking for, but, um, or what you're looking for, but, um, yeah, I mean, the way I describe it to people, which I alluded to before, just the manager brain and the agent brain being a little different, like, you know, you, I feel like agents are very good at spreadsheets. Yeah. Um, and again, it's like, don't get me wrong. Every music agent I've ever loved is like a massive music fan. Yep. Um, but I also feel like you're a little bit more numbers oriented yep. sometimes than other aspects of the industry. So, you know, can you speak on that or, or maybe like, you know, before the pandemic over the past few years, I've seen beloved national acts getting dropped from agencies. So like, what can artists be doing again, you know, pre-pandemic, whatever pandemic or not, like what can they be doing to, you know, engage with their agent, stay relevant and, and keep it going, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, that's, I've, I, I'm looking for, and I would say most artists are look or most agents are looking for career type artists, right? Again, it goes back to like, who are you? Do you have a unique voice um, in the, in both the metaphorical and like the figurative sense? Do you stand for something? Are you also working, right? Are you, are you, are you generating opportunity for yourself? Are you putting yourself in positions to win? Who's the team, right? Like, you know, I, I don't, I'm not necessarily somebody who needs to know that you've got, you know, the A-level manager or the A-level lawyer on your team, but like, are, are, are do you have people that are experienced um, on your team? And if they're not experienced, you have people that are willing to learn or and are asking the right questions, right? Or, you know, that I get the sense, are, you know, are, are, are in your corner and, and willing to fight. Like, you know, those are sort of the things that I'm, that I'm, that I'm looking for. Um, yeah, it's tough. I mean, there's so much going on with the pandemic and, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough for everybody. <laughs> it's tough for everybody. Agreed. Um, Tell us how artists land support tours, opening slots. Can you demystify that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, I mean, look, early on, uh, it, it's it's really tough. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with relationships, 
who do you as an artist have relationships with? Like, who's your artist community? Are you, um, are, are you plugged in? Are you featuring? Are you, you know, giving people songs? Is your management team connected? You know, uh, is your label connected? Uh, is your, who does your attorney know? Um, you know, are you willing to play? Are you willing to sacrifice um, short-term money to make something happen, right? Will you play an event for free? Um, you know, and, and again, and not everybody has the same um, ability to do these things for a number of reasons, but those are, that can be a factor sometimes, just the relationship aspect. Um, to the degree that you have ticket history, um, that's a great tool to leverage for an agent, right? If I can tell the the the, the, the band that we're pitching that, uh, my artist can sell a thousand tickets in every market and they're going into 2000 cap rooms. Why would, you know, why would that artist not want me on their tour? If, you know, if they know that they can only sell a thousand tickets, right? Like, you know, that that's a great value add. So what kind of value are we adding to the tour? Sometimes it's not even ticket history. Sometimes it's like, you know, are you, are you hot right now? Do you have a song that's charting? Will you bring relevancy to, um, to the artist that's looking for support? Um, you know, do you add a specific branding element to the tour that the, that the headlining artist does not have themselves, right? Um, you know, maybe they're trying to tap into a certain market. Do you provide those, those fans or those buyers um, that might show up to the show or put the headlining band uh, or might get the headlining band on the radar of said fans or buyers. Um, that's important. And, you know, to the, to the degree that we can get a plan up front, which is a question you asked earlier, like, you know, let's get out in front of this thing and start pitching, right? If I know that you want to support X artist and I know they're not going on tour for a year, but I know your album is coming two months from now, I'm going to start seeding it with that agent, uh, with that artist agent team or with their management team or with, you know, the promoter that I know is going to control the show. And we're going to attack it from every angle. We're going to figure out, you know, who or what we can be saying to make you appealing. And, you know, I think it's about planting a seed early and letting people sometimes think it's their idea when the time comes and just being consistent and persistent. Yeah. And you opened with the the magic word relationships. Um, I don't know if artists or, you know, or anyone really starting out in music in the music industry, um, always understand that it's like, Oh, got to get an agent so I can get on these tours, got to get a manager, blah, blah, blah. And like, at the end of the day, it is, you know, the artists making that decision, like who's going to open for them, who's going to support them. Yeah. And like any other human, like people like going on tour with people they like. Yep. So, um, yeah, just, I mean, and, and obviously it helps when you're reaching out you know, to the agent, I'm reaching out to the manager. If I know them, like you said, does the attorney know some? who knows someone, right. you know, in that camp or whatever, but at the end of the day, it's going to be, you know, the artist making that decision. So, you know, again, it's all about authenticity and building genuine relationships, but um, yeah, you, you gotta get out there and connect with other artists if you want to get support slots. Absolutely. So I feel like people don't always know that. Um, we touched on this, but how can artists, uh, maximize their, their tour profits and their live profits again, non-pandemic times? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I mean, uh, we, uh, not to, yeah, not to be repetitive, but, um, you want to be looking at expenses. You want to know that you're getting the best deal in the room, um, that you're playing. You want your agent to be aggressive in negotiating a fee that is, you know, at market value or above upfront. 
Um, you know, you want to optimize ticket scaling where you can. It's kind of hard early on um, in, in, in some of these smaller rooms because they're all GA. So there's no opportunity to, you know, increase the price of, uh, of, a, of, a, of a pit ticket versus a balcony ticket. Um, so, you know, I think really what you want to be paying attention to is, um, you know, what what are your personal expenses that you're bringing on the road? Um, and um, is the venue charging you a fair rate? And, you know, the, the one thing I'll say that I'm, that I, you know, like to stress to my clients is like, I, I go through um, the offers of other clients that have played similar rooms and I'll compare the offers from a year, two years ago and, and, and ask questions if expenses don't line up. And, you know, understand why they don't line up. And sometimes it doesn't make sense, right? So I think that's where it's important to have an agent that's going to be very detail oriented and in, in, in making sure you get the best deal. Um, that's sort of, um, that's, that's what I look out for. Definitely. And I would say on the artist and manager end, you know, as you grow in your career, it's like, do you need every bell and whistle on tour? Right. You know, it's like if you got to where you are, you know, maybe with a sound person, tour manager, merch person, maybe a monitor tech, it's like, do you need a, a, a backline tech for every single instrument? Like as you get bigger, like, you know, possibly not. And I've, I also know plenty of artists that people have heard of that, you know, like there are crews that are willing to make a little bit more and maybe double up on rooms or band, same with band members too, that are getting paid. And the example I use in the book was, um, I was, uh, talking to Ben Folds on tour once we were in Australia. Um, I was with the Dresden Dolls. He ended up producing Amanda Palmer solo records. It was a very close relationship. And so he was definitely like sharing advice with the band. Mm -hmm. And he said, look, like I was given two tour budgets once, like, here's one with a tour bus, here's one with a van. Right. And the one with the van, I was coming home with way more money and I had no problem rolling up to Letterman in a van. <laughs> so I just feel like if it's good enough for, for Ben Folds, it's good enough for the rest of us. I'm not saying like, don't use a bus. That that can be very efficient for a lot of reasons, but I haven't toured in a while, but when I was touring, it's like buses were like minimum a thousand dollars a day. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And and to further that point, like, you know, sometimes your manager is your tour manager, is your merch person, is your light person, is your tech person. Like, totally. you know, you've got you've to be willing to, to you, you want that person who's going to be willing to do everything um, until you're at that next level where you can afford to bring people on. Not to, not to repeat exactly what you said, but I agree with that point wholeheartedly. Cool. Um, awesome. So there's been so much growth in VIP packages over the past decade or so. Like, what are you seeing in that space? And are, and are you seeing anything virtually too? Yeah. I mean, so virtually it's interesting. Um, you know, again, uh, we don't, it, it's, it's, it's case by case, but virtually it's interesting because artists are kind of having to get creative about what they're offering. Right. Um, I, I love seeing the different types of packages people are putting together, um, whether it's, you know, uh, just a GA ticket and, uh, and, and merch, um, or it's a GA ticket and merch that's exclusive to the ticket type that you bought or to the specific live stream. Um, or it's uh, signed uh, vinyl, or it's a meet and greet, right? Like, I love that people are trying to get creative. Um, and, and it's a great way to interact with your fans and add, you know, additional value. The only thing I'll say is, you know, sometimes early on in, in, in your career, it's important to meet as many of your fans as possible. And adding that additional um 
you know, 10, 20, $30 upcharge um, can be counterproductive to growing your audience. So, you know, I think that that's always one thing that I like to sort of discuss with my, with my um, clients uh, early on in their careers. It's like, you know, uh, the extra money is great, but you know, is there, uh, are we still planning on talking to everybody at the venue? Because at the end of the day, like that's your, that's your, those are your, those are your, that's your army. Like you, you want those people to go out and, and be evangelizing about you to um, their friends so that the next time you come and play the market, more people show up. So, you know, you want, you want that one-to-one relationship with as many of your fans as possible. And I, sometimes early on charging them for access isn't always the best way to, uh, to go. But again, a case by case, you know, there's other VIP packages you can, you can provide that don't include um, your physical presence, right? You can sell skip the line passes sometimes or whatever. Mm-hmm. It just, it, it just depends. Such a good point. And just kind of brainstorming on that. It's like, you know, if an artist is new and that VIP revenue is important for whatever reason, it's like, maybe do a VIP sound check party, but then definitely still sign for everyone afterwards. And then, you know, the VIP people definitely got something special, but then you are making that connection. Not only, you know, not only with fans in general, but it's like not everyone can afford VIP packages. Exactly. Exactly. Very cool. So, you know, one thing that I thought would happen over the past decade as we moved into digital and the modern music industry and and the fact that artists own their rights, you know, uh, more than ever, and or certainly more than in the past, mm-hmm. is the recording of live shows and and doing something with that content. And obviously, you know, there's origination fees, you know, paying the venue for that use, and and there, there's there's other elements. But are you seeing anyone record their shows and do something? With, I mean, I will say, obviously, the jam band community does that. But are you seeing anyone do this? Record so, like, you're asking if artists are recording their own shows. And then doing something with it, you know, and again, like the jam band community, amazing. I'm sure you can go to a lot of jammy acts websites and they have their whole tour for sale or or whatever. Um, But I, I just, I feel like I don't see artists doing that. And, and I understand they want to control the performance and they're hard on themselves with approval, but I just think that's such a cool memento. Like, oh my gosh, they said, I keep saying it, but like they said Milwaukee or they said whatever, you know? (laughs) Right, right. Uh, No, so I think it it depends on the type of show. You know, I think for some of the festivals, um, a lot of the labels own that content, right? And you've seen a lot of it go up on some of these like uh, virtual platforms in the last seven or eight months we've been in quarantine. But, you know, that's labels leveraging uh, or exploiting that footage. I haven't seen a lot of it either. And, you know, I I would assume that probably going forward, we'll see more of it now that people understand there's a market for, um, for these shows. There's a market where these shows can live. Um, and there's platforms that are willing to pay for that content. Um, I just don't know that it was ever, I just don't know that that people really believe that there was enough value there to really, um, take the time to record and, um, and, and and exploit the content elsewhere. You know, there's additional costs that go along with it, right? Like not every venue will allow you to, and you've got to pay origination fees that, you know, that end up costing more money than it's sometimes worth. So it, it, it depends. But to your point, I'm sure we'll see more of it now that, you know, people have lived through uh, coronavirus. You know, I'm having this flashback of like, I, I must've been in college because I was working at the Paradise in Boston and they they did have a thing 
by they, I mean, technology or whatever. And, and Live Nation New England was doing this where they literally would press CDs of the show yeah. and you could buy it at the merch table. So I don't know if that died out as CD sales declined or what, but yeah, I, I think that's kind of a missed opportunity. I'm curious to see if that grows. No. So some of that stuff is still in some of these offers, but you know, you, you just have to be diligent about what you allow and don't allow. And again, it depends on who actually has the rights to that content. Sometimes the artist isn't at liberty to, to give that stuff. Um, so it, it is still in there. Depends on the market. Definitely. Yeah. Um, are you seeing artists collect data at shows at the merch table, email list, text message clubs, stuff like that? Uh, I mean, I don't see a lot of it, but they certainly should. I think a lot of the data collection happens on the uh, ticketing side, right? And it's yeah. ticketing platforms owning that data and artists not really having access to it. Um, it's super important. Um, I'm certain we'll see more of it going forward. Um, there's this great app that, uh, that I see a lot of artists jumping on called Community. Um, that allows it's a, it's an SMS based service that allows a lot of um, different. Uh, it allows artists or talent in general, or anybody with a following, to basically do you know customer relationship management using your phone, and you've got a database of of. Uh, of, of fans and you've got their phone numbers and you know their age or their their gender or their birthdays and you're able to communicate with them that way and release um new product to them that way uh and you know i i love i love that technology and i think that we're going to see a lot of that going forward um you know certainly it's not the same as collecting the same it's not the same as collecting the data at the point of purchase um you know like the like the ticketing platforms are but i still think it's a really powerful tool so you know i, I to the degree that artists can collect data at shows they should but a lot of that power lies with um the ticketing platforms but i would love to see artists sort of take that back i love to hear you say that that's awesome it's important it's super important. Well, again, that's the whole point of the book and what we're talking about. It's it's about sustainability. And so if they're paying money to be there, like you want to retain that info so you can remind them when you're back. Absolutely. So what does sustainable touring mean to you? Uh, yeah, good question. I mean, it's what we, it's what I aim for. Um, it's, you know, it's artists that, uh, can sell tickets without traditional radio support. Um, artists that are focused on the long term. Um, it's about training your fans to purchase your tickets at the on sale. Um, and there's an art to that, right? Like, you know, part of that means, um, being very, uh, specific about how fans, experience your live shows right like you can't have you you can't have all kinds of shows all over the place right like you you've got to train people to you know know that when you're putting shows on sale that's when you're going on tour and they're not going to be able to see you at the nightclub um or, or anywhere else um you know within a certain amount of time because they're they know you only go on tour once a year or twice a year and and this is the big event and that's not to knock any of the other performance venues where people collect their money but i think you know, there's an art to playing uh, the right room and selling it out and then going into a bigger room and selling that out and, you know, creating uh, demand by, um, you know, playing to the right uh, to the right number of people at the right ticket price. Exactly. Yeah. I love it. Um, so just a couple more questions. Um, you know, again, we, li we live in this modern music industry world. I've been interviewing you know, different artists on this podcast. Some of them are massive. Some of them are starting out, but even the massive ones, it's like everyone has a different 
configuration of, of a team. So what kind of team members are you are you seeing or not seeing around artists? Yeah, good good question. Um, I think like 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 you said, it, it depends. Um, you see, every most everybody has a manager. Very few artists are able to manage themselves. Um, you know, usually you see that at, at sort of the the higher end. You see the successful version of this at the very top end of the uh, of of the totem pole. Um, you know, most artists or every artist has a lawyer, right? So if you don't have a manager, you certainly have a lawyer. Um, you know, you see publicists, um, you know, a lot of artists with a more unique aesthetic have a creative team that they work with and they might not, you know, I, I'm not really privy to the, to the payment structure, but, you know, they might have the, that team on retainer or, you know, they might pay them per project, but somebody who understands your creative aesthetic and they do your videos or they do your styling, um, that person can be important. Um, you know, I'm starting to see more and more. Um, artist teams includes the touring expert, right? Or somebody who has a viewpoint on touring. Um, you know, that's that's a, a sort of a more recent thing. You know, one thing I would love to see more of, or one thing that I think is interesting that I don't see more of is, you know, that, that data scientist, right? Like there's so much information totally. out there about, um, you know, what an artist, where an artist fans are coming from, who's watching them, how long they're watching them for. Um, you know, you, there's so many data points you can collect on your fans. I would love to see more artists incorporate somebody who's crunching those numbers and, and sort of be able to tell a story through that data that allows artists to sort of tap into um, revenue streams that they weren't tapping into before, or, you know, introduce different types of content to their fans that their fans are asking for or tier their offerings to different types of fans, depending on their, um, their level of engagement. I just think there's so much, I just feel like artists could be so much more dynamic in their business um, with this person on that team. And I'm sure it's coming. Um, but, you know, I, I think, I think until that skill set's a little bit more commonplace, right? That understanding how to sort of read those 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 data points, I'm sure we won't we won't see that uh, for we won't see that be more common for a little bit. I love it. That's amazing. Um, finally, what does building a sustainable music career mean to you? Which is different from a sustainable touring career. I mean, it's part of it, but yeah. Um, so, I mean. As an artist, I think it means and it means basically being able to like make a living doing what it is that you do. You know, to be able to live comfortably, putting out music for a living. Um, you know, uh, being able to release music that's not dictated by commercial trends, unless it, that's what it is you you want to do. I think it's sort of that freedom to just create. Um, you know, I think. As an as an agent, it's it's a, it's sort of similar. Um, you know, um, I think for an artist, it's about sacrifice, right? Sometimes it's about foregoing, um, you know, uh, the short money for longer money, right? So you know, saying no to the festival this year because we know a year from now we're going to be, you know, two times our size and worth, you know triple the amount we're, we're charging this year. Um, it's about being able to execute, right? Um, it's doing the things that you say you're going to do. Um, and, 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 you know, 
like when you put a plan together, bringing those things to fruition and, and, and being sort of diligent about making those things happen. Um, you know, I, I, those things sort of encompass a sustainable music career, um, in my opinion. Love it. Any thoughts on a sustainable music career on the industry side? Yeah, I think it. I think a lot of it boils down to, to relationships, and then you know the cornerstone of relationships is like just having integrity, being a person of uh, of integrity, having a good reputation, being somebody that people want to work with. Um, you know, sticking to your word as an executive. Um, you know, and and adding value to any team or project that you're brought in on. I think people want to know that when they're reaching out to you, you know, they, they know what you, they know what they're hiring you for, right? Like you, you, your resume should sort of speak for itself um, in addition to, to being a good person. And I think, you know, part of that, it requires execution also. So, you know, that's, that's, that's my take. Incredible. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, this is awesome. Anything else you want to add? No, um, this was great. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. And um, do you want people to find you on social media? Like I've been talking to a lot of artists, so yeah, like for for sure. Um, and I uh, I've been so terrible about um, keeping my own social media up to date. I, I swore that 2021 is going to be the year that I really start to uh, you know start to dabble again. So um, I'm a keen on almost all of my social media, but I spell it phonetically. So it's U-H-K-E-E-N. Um, and feel free to follow me. And, you know, if you don't see me post in the next 30 days, just know that come January 1, I'm, 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 I'm going to figure it out. <laughs> Love it. Well, thank you, Akeen. This was incredible. And um, yeah, we really appreciate the time. I know how busy you are. No, this is great. Thank you for having me. And I appreciate you reaching out. My pleasure. So that is uh, a wrap for this episode of how to build a sustainable music career and collect all revenue streams. We will catch you on the next episode. Thanks so much for listening.